Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. Welcome back to part two of Naomi's story of healing from Willow River. In this episode, she takes us back through the rest of her story and where she is today in her healing journey. We discuss what it's been like for her to raise children up until this point and how we hope to help others process their own trauma. Please take into consideration whenever and wherever you are listening to this episode that we discuss child sexual abuse, child pornography, and grooming. If you or someone you know is suffering from the effects of trauma, please know that you are not alone in your healing journey. If you would like to speak with a professional therapist, you can reach out to hello at invisiblescarspodcast.com to book an appointment. Going into this, like we hadn't spoken so long and like I had reached out to you on Facebook Mm -hmm. and I wasn't even sure if A, you'd remember me or if B, you'd be willing to talk to me. I wasn't actually sure what I would get. But I knew that if the tables were turned, because I was about to launch this podcast and Mm -hmm. I was about to share my story. And I knew that if the tables were turned, I would want to know. And that I didn't know what place you were in emotionally, but I didn't want you to be blindsided by it just popping up like we were with that documentary. Exactly. So I reached out to you and I told you what was happening and I couldn't believe the person on the other side. Like, I couldn't believe how, like, together you were and emotionally well-rounded you were and how well-spoken you were. Like, I, statistically speaking, that's not what I was expecting. And you've actually shared a lot of information with me over the last couple months. And I want to talk about that because I've spoken before about how I was not ever given any information. And even when Crystal got out... You actually reminded me it was when we graduated Mm -hmm. high school and I didn't know. I found out with the rest of the world. Um, I didn't know that it was coming. And you have been writing victim impact statements to keep him in jail. Yes. Which is, you know, you've kept him there for the both of us. I didn't know I could do that. Like Mm -hmm. that is so brave and important. And I can't believe you've been doing that. Is hard, but I feel like it's necessary. If that's the only power I have over some decision making, I'm going to do it because he does not deserve to be out in the world. No, he doesn't. And, you know, we have, we share the same wanting to know of the things we don't remember. Yeah. Which is controversial. It's scary. It's so many people have said to me, like, just you don't remember it. It's a blessing. And I feel differently. And, you know, it's it's interesting. Like I had talked to in a previous episode, I talked to Caleb Dahlgren, who (laughs) is a survivor of the Humboldt Broncos um, bus crash. And I asked him how he feels if he ever starts to remember anything. And he said that he actually hopes that he does. And as I've talked to more and more survivors, it's actually the common thought is that they all want to know what they're missing. Yeah. They want to know what they don't remember. And you want to, you feel this way too. I do. Yeah. Like there's so many holes that you wish all the dots can be connected to your story that you know has happened, mm-hmm. but you have holes. Yeah. And there's no way to fill them because you were drugged. Do you think sometimes that the reason you want to know is because you're searching for a why? Why this happened? Why you? Why? They chose to live their life this way. I don't know if it's that because 
already have gone through that question. I feel like I'm, it's probably bad to say, but I feel like I want to know how bad it was that I had to survive and what I want validation for my hard years. And I want, I feel like I need more validation for why I had to struggle in school. And like, I just feel like some of those questions will be answered, which it might take me down a different path in a learning more about trauma and stuff. But I feel like maybe it'll even get me to the wanting to help people in more of a hands-on than I am right now. I'm a pharmacy tech, so I kind of do it indirectly. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know about medication and then I help and be an advocate for family members or friends in the town. And I try and be support system for people that are in the hospital. But I feel like I want to dive into that trauma side. And I don't know if filling those holes will help relate to more people or if it's going to just fill the holes that I've had. You said it beautifully. And I actually, I'm, I'm going to change what I said because that is a lie. I have moments where it's so heavy that I, I do believe that I'm not capable of knowing. And then I have my really, really strong moments which are more often than the, than the low ones, but I have my really, really strong moments where I'm like, no, I deserve to know. Mm-hmm. I need to know. I need to know, like you said, why, why I am the way I am. Mm-hmm. What happened to me? What does my body remember that my mind is not remembering? And as you were talking, actually, there's one thing that really stuck out to me that I wanted to say to you was that someone had said to me, and I've read in other places too, that you know, a big part of healing is service. And giving back to others and trying to help other people kind of navigate these really hard things and listening to you talk about wanting to help and wanting to help people in your community and being in like medication because, you know, you wanted to understand these drugs that were given to you as well and what they can do, you know, listening to you talk it. I think that that's also a big part of your healing and why you are doing so well is the element of service and what that means to you. Yeah, like I am. Never been in the job for the pay or anything. I've always enjoyed doing the work. And at the end, you're helping the patient. Yeah. Even if you're not a nurse, you're still helping the patient in the chain of events. You're amazing. Like, it blows my mind that you have, like, they, what they did to you over and over and came back again. See, that's the difference in my story versus yours is. Once they realized that I didn't take those pills, that I remembered everything, they never came around again. It almost was like I was dangerous to them. I was a wild card. They didn't have as much access to me. And, but you had to keep living it. I had memories of like putting my, them putting my clothes on in certain things, but I didn't have the same memories you did. You you had to keep being re-traumatized over and over again. And so for you to be sitting here, like where you are, like that is, do you understand how incredible that is? But you too, like, I don't know, like I didn't have to go for sleepovers per se without my family. So I could still snuggle up with them or, you know, it did happen. But for both of us, even though they're different, they're both traumatizing. 
and you have come so far with no support and you have done so good and you're going to be a great stepmom and a mom to your daughters and like they're going to have the world that we never had they're going to have the emotional they're going to be able to be vulnerable they're going to have all the things that we would have wanted and they won't have to suffer we're breaking a cycle and we know we can't protect them from harm always, but we're teaching them intuition and we are teaching them to listen to their body. And we're teaching them that your body sometimes shows you if something's going on and to listen, you know, that's amazing. It's true. So don't second guess you either because we have both come out of this and we are both going to work so hard to keep on going because they do not deserve to take it from under us. So true. And just so true. You know, they, if they felt so powerful to me mm -hmm. back then, you know, they felt so much bigger than me, so much more powerful than me. And, you know, as I said, I never had to see them again. I did just not in the same capacity, right? right. Like they would show up at my grandpa's house mm -hmm. and I would pee my pants because I'd be so scared. Mm -hmm. And I was really terrified of them. And I can't imagine for, for you, like they were your family. You know, there's, I said before, you know, there's been so many people that have reached out saying that family members have abused them and they've never told anyone. And what would be your advice to them now sitting here as today, Naomi, what would you say to them when they say, no one will believe me. I'm scared. It's my aunt. It's my uncle. It's my grandpa. It's whoever it is. That's a hard question in the sense of sometimes they won't believe you, but you're not alone. And I would say find people that do. Mm -hmm. And then if you're able to press charges and go through that process, go it's hard. worth it it is worth it and the hard part is you know some people that you think would support you may not and you know what that's for them to own that's not on you if you believe in your heart that you need to do this you need to fight and sometimes it's an ongoing fight but you need to fight One thing we were talking about that really struck me and when it comes to like abusers that are a part of your family, you said to me, we still have their wedding photo. Mm -hmm. And I spent so many years wondering what they looked like because I'd blocked it out because I forgot. And when they're your family, there's reminders everywhere. And I can't imagine what that was like for you and your parents and what it still is like. Because a lot of your stories like when you're, we went to this wedding or we went to whatever, like there's always an element of them because there's their parents and their grandparents. And she was, you know, she was your mom's niece. Like they're always intertwined in some fucking way. Mm -hmm. And you just, the work you've done to be able to live alongside that is huge. Yeah. And it was so weird to know that she grew up in BC, but I knew her dad and they always grew up here with her siblings they never really knew each other as much 
And then to come here, you don't assume that someone's coming to hurt you. Yeah. And then them get to know you. And then this happens. Yeah. But the one good thing is her dad supported our family in this trial. He did not support his daughter. Mm -hmm. What was your relationship like with Crystal's dad? Uh, He was always my Uncle Larry. He was always around. He was, whenever we'd see him, he was always happy and smiling. So he treated you well. He treated me well. And like he knew when we were going through this court case and he supported my parents and stuff. So I know he was there for mom, but I think it was hard for him. Yeah, because she's his sister, right? Yeah. It's her brother. Her brother. Dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they supported each other. And then to know that that's the niece and the daughter that could be capable of this. Like, it's so much family pain. Yeah. It's so much family pain. And I think that's the thing, like whether it's your family member or just a friend, like it was, they were friends of my parents, you know, when your child is abused like this, when someone suffers severe trauma like this, it's family pain. Mm-hmm. It is family pain and it's hard and we need to come together as a family, which you gladly you had, but it is family pain and it, it really like, is. it goes on for years and years and years. And I imagine like it affected your brothers and it affected like to this day, probably. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I know they didn't talk about it as much, but they would listen to me if I was talking about it or whatever. And they couldn't always relate to me, but they always had the, my brothers always had the desire to try and protect me. Mm -hmm. And I had a really good relationship with my second oldest brother and he was taken too soon. So finally, when he was out of that protective brother stage and we could be like friends, he was taken away from us. So I'm still really close with my younger brother, but unfortunately my oldest brother has an addiction problem and he doesn't understand how I could get through it, but he knows that I'm strong for it. So he supports me that way, but we just have a boundary set up that when he's ready to get healthy, then I will be there for him. Which is beautiful because, you know, trauma survivors often have a hard time setting boundaries. And the fact that you're able to do that, especially with somebody that you love, set a boundary out of love, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. that's actually a really, really big deal. And I, I want to talk, if you're willing to talk about it, actually, your brother that passed away, mm-hmm. you know, your family has been through so much, mm-hmm. Naomi. Like, yeah, your family has been through hell. Yeah, and we have, it has made us closer. Like my brother in May 29th, 2007, he was killed in a mine accident. It took like 60 hours to be able to, for sure, no, for sure, if he passed away. And he had succumbed to the injuries of the fall. And he passed away before his 30th birthday, before his first anniversary, and before he got to find out what the sex of his unborn baby was. And I can't imagine what my dad would feel like as his son. And they worked in the same place. And my brother, Willie, had worked up there too. And I don't know how they do it. We just, we have our own ways that we've all had to process it, but we're all pretty close of a family and we still have a really good relationship with his wife who will always be our sister-in-law and daughter-in-law. And we are still close with his child. And I, I am so thankful for that, that my family has 
gone through so much, but so accepting of so many things because we've had such hardships. You have, like you are honestly the definition of a trauma survivor and you're really like doing good things and you're trying to help people. And I'm in awe of you. And I'm so glad I got to connect with you again. Like, I'm so glad we found each other again. Cause like I said to you earlier, you know, there's not one other person on this planet that understands what it was like in that trailer or what it was like to live among those people or what they did or how it affected me that shares the same memories as me that can validate my memories after being silenced for so many years. You know, you're the only person on this planet that can do that for me. And for the two of us to be sitting here, like I'm actually, my, my mind is blown. I'm so thankful that I could connect with you again. And I didn't want to do this over the phone. And I wanted to meet you because we haven't seen each other since court. Yeah. And we weren't allowed to talk. It was weird, on right? On level because we're going to court. You can't jeopardize your testimony because you're so young. And like, now we can talk about our struggles and our pain and validate. And like, it's... Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons I was so proud of you for coming on is because I truly believe, I mean, you know, you carried the shame, right? The shame that we all carry as trauma survivors, the only way for it to go away, for us to kill that shame is for the rest of us to share our stories. So true. It's so true. And like, there's only happiness on the other side of shame. Like, honestly, like sharing it and healing from it I mean, you've done it. You know how fucking hard it's so hard. Those dark trenches are of healing. And yes. it's scary. And there's moments where you think you can't do it. But uh, do you feel that all of that is worth it? It is. It is so worth it. And so, but sometimes it stops you right in your tracks. Yeah. Like you think you're okay. And yeah. then, no. You're not okay. Like our poor husbands. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I actually did an episode with Brent and like he would say like I would handle it so well that he'd forget that that was a part of who I was Mm -hmm. and then suddenly I'm like flipping out about bubblegum and like Mm -hmm. I hate him and we're getting divorced and I never Mm -hmm. loved him anyways and like I'm like in a full-out spiral over something so stupid and it's my trauma coming through yeah me too it could be my kids are too loud Mm -hmm. but that was a me problem not a them problem and then I finally got on medication and I've been talking to my counselor about like if there's a link between ADHD and trauma when you've had trauma, yep. especially childhood trauma, if there's some kind of link because I feel like with all the stuff you're trying to control because of what was not in your control, it like gives you ADHD Yeah, because you couldn't control what was happening. So you try to control every aspect of your life. From then on. Mm -hmm. And then at least with medication, I was able to like calm down a little and let loose and the kids can play. Yeah. They can be kids. They can be kids and I can take myself out of this environment and they can be loud and it's okay. And I can put headphones on if I'm making supper because they're fine. They're just being kids. Yeah. And I don't need to be yelling, but it was my stress. Living in flight or fight. Yeah. For 20 fucking years. Yeah. 
and what that does to you. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit too about how trauma lives in the body and how you were sick all the time as a kid. And what was, I'm so curious too, like, what was that like for you as an adult, as a new mom? How did you recover from being a new mom? And now that you're like in this healing process, all those ailments, like, have they gone away? I had eczema really bad when my daughter was born. And I think it was just the stress of having a daughter. Oh my God, like I have to take care of this child and protect this child. And like, there was so much emotions Mm -hmm. around that. So I had eczema and I was, had colds all the time and my asthma would flare up. So I'd be coughing. And um, eventually once I took myself out and I became a single parent, some of those things subsided. But then we had to figure out um, my daughter had something going on. So then we figured out that she had sensory processing disorder. And then once we figured that out, our lives settled. Like once we could, you know, figure out our sensations, which I'm sure I'm sensory to now, like to sound and certain things like I just can't. So I just know that I just need to take myself out of it. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard being a new mom. like. How do you protect the people from the world that is, you don't know. So it just made me very hyper aware. And I made sure to go to a daycare that was licensed with lots of workers. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one day home, but she was awesome. But like day homes worried me yeah. because of my childhood. So it just changed how you thought. Everything you decided for your child was because of the trauma. Yes. Yes. Everything. It is so freaking true. So true. Like everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. And I don't even know that I realized it until right now. Yeah. Everything. How do you handle that kind of stuff now? I mean, I know she's a, your daughter, your oldest daughter is a little bit older. And she's kind of at that point where, unfortunately, I know we have to like let go a little, right? And I mean, in a couple of years, she's going to get a driver's license. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, how are you handling and coping with that now? I feel like I've given her the tools to be her own person. And yes. she's such a strong personality that I never was. And I feel like, yeah, she'll make some mistakes, but. I think they'll be just like the regular mistakes that a teenager makes and not have to hopefully go through anything that we had to go through, especially like not that kind of childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. There's always something that they're going to have to get through, but yeah, none of us get through this life. No, without pain. Yeah. Yeah, But definitely not. I did protect her from what we went through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel the same way and I've had a really hard time you know, letting go as well. There was, you know, sleepovers were not a thing. And when I did allow her, it was like a really hard and only people that I was really, really comfortable with. Um, I actually remember one time my daughter going to, a, I was out with friends yeah, and unavailable. Like mm-hmm. it was just a girl's weekend or whatever it was. And my husband, not his, he did nothing wrong. Yeah, He let her go to a sleepover with a friend and yeah. I'm very good friends with her mom. Yeah. We're good friends. So he yeah. really thought nothing of it. Yeah. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night in a panic 
hysterical yeah. wanting to go pick her up yeah. not sure like you know it was really and for days after I'm asking her questions and like mm -hmm. trying really hard to get her to open up to me and you know it's it's those things that have stolen parts of motherhood from me where I can't relax yeah where I can't let well and really it's stealing parts of her childhood because I'm not allowing her to do certain mm -hmm. things and I'm probably putting a lot of my fear on her mm -hmm. and it's something I'm really trying to look at and work on because fuck they did that to me you yeah. know mm -hmm. they did that to at me. her age at her age yeah that's a big trigger mm -hmm. after my episodes aired there was a ton of questions about their daughter their baby mm -hmm. and where she is now and I had said that um you know, I knew that she'd written into the paper mm -hmm. in Prince George apologizing yep. for what her parents did. And, you know, obviously she's your cousin. Yeah. But you, we don't know what ended up happening to their kids because Crystal was actually pregnant when she went to the trial. trial. Yeah. Yeah. And so she gave birth when she was in jail. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that those children went to family. Yeah. That's as far as what I heard, but I never know what family, like if it was her mom's side of the family because it definitely wasn't like the dad's side right her dad's and then i don't know what james his side was like i don't know if it was his family or her family or if he had family yeah yeah i'm not sure but i know it was a family member so when crystal got out of jail too like um you know there was i'm just trying to think of like all the questions i got after my interview because i think a lot of these questions you're better fit to answer than <laughs> i am honestly so You've been writing letters to keep him in jail, which I'm now going to be doing as well. And it didn't happen that way for Crystal. So she was sentenced to 13 years and she served seven. And she got out. But she went back. Yeah, she. I didn't know this. I know. I heard. I don't know if we must have got a notification because. Well, I didn't. <laughs> my parents said yes to all that stuff. So um, when she. When we graduated, she got out, and I think they found her in a park. So then she didn't pass her parole, recommend like what she had to, like fill. following probation, yeah, or whatever. Probation, yeah. and uh, then she went back and finished whatever eight years. Like so, it had only been like another year. So yeah, unbelievable. I know. Like, what was she doing there? Right. What was she doing there? Especially if she used her statement as that she shouldn't have been sentence to anything like him why it's, would she be there it's unbelievable and you know i asked you because so many people had asked me too like do you know where she is but we don't know where, i have no idea we have no idea where she is her identity is obviously protected we don't mm -hmm. even know if she's under the same name no if you could meet her if you could see her again what would you say i would probably say you didn't break me and i survive what you did to me but i hope that you never hurt someone else that might not be able to make it through she didn't break you us she didn't break us she didn't break us and i mean i was close at some points in my life me um, too but and i really i don't believe he will ever get out of jail i, sh I don't think so he has dangerous offender status so that's a bit harder Plus, whenever I get the parole papers back, they usually have a whatever the uh, people on the parole, what they say and decide. And he's never done any of his work to get rehabilitated. 
He's uninterested. No. And he's never spoke about his childhood or owned up to what he has done to us and why he has done it to us. Like, so he's never, I don't think he'll ever get out. And he's never out in the society in jail. He's on 23 hour lockdown. Which makes you wonder if he was ever released, how he would be a functioning part of society to begin with, because he's been so isolated for 20 years. I think they should just let him out in jail first. See what happens. In the general public. Yeah. There. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think, I don't think it would get far. I don't think so either. And he doesn't deserve to be out in society and have my anxiety through the roof knowing he's out there. Okay, so like talking about your victim impact statements, you actually had sent me um, a copy of the parole board decision um, from the last one. So it happens every two years. And one when you had sent this to me, it was in the summer, actually. I think it was just in July. Yeah. And I was reading through it. And one thing that stopped me in my fucking tracks, I had already started the podcast. It was already launched. I think it was a couple episodes in. And I'm reading your victim impact statements that you had sent me. And you had talked about your invisible scars. Holy shit. And I didn't even know what the name of your podcast was. So like, yeah, until you reached out to me and I was just giving you this information of the parole board, just an FYI, I didn't know that you didn't have that information and just so similar. Like, it's wild to me. When I read that, I like grabbed my husband and I was like, Brent, look at her fucking victim impact statement. And like, it sent chills up our spines. Like, you described your pain as having invisible scars. And that is what I named my goddamn podcast. Like, (laughs) I could not believe it. And, you know, like, like you had said to me, we have been through so much separately, Mm -hmm. but to the timing of our deep dive into healing and Mm -hmm. trying to process this stuff was the same and where we are emotionally is just like we're we're really in that same place and what are your thoughts on that because like it's flooring me I am so grateful that we have each other yeah and like I can't relate with this court case with anybody else but you and we had actually met each other through all this so like good and evil but look how far we've come and look where we're gonna go yeah and hopefully we can change some things for some people yeah and change legislation and like who knows where we're gonna go now the power we have the power we have being on this side of things totally and like it's crazy and you know if nothing else they gave us each other they did it's powerful you know we have been talking a lot about um silencing victims And we've been talking about publication bans. And it's interesting because neither one of us knew. First, I didn't know what a publication ban was. No idea. And no one ever told me I couldn't talk about this. And to this day, we don't really know if we can. So Mm -hmm. we'll decide. Like We're in talks with lawyers to see if we're allowed to air this. Um, My episodes are already aired. So, you know, no one's ever told me I couldn't talk about it. It's another way to silence victims. It's so unfair. Like, we were kids. I get that. And to protect us when we were kids, but we're adults and it's our story. It feels like they're, you know, they're trying to take that away from us. Yeah. And I understand why it's there. 
when there's minors involved. Yeah. I do believe we should age out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's like they own the rights to our story. They own the rights to our life. And it's not fair. And, you know, another thing that kind of confused me about it was that I've said nothing in this podcast that isn't on in the media already. Yeah. That's been on newspapers or whatever. Like that was a two-year trial. There's lots out there. Anyone who's listening can Google their names. They can Google Willow River mm-hmm. and every detail comes up that yeah. we've talked about. Yeah. Actually, more detail if you want the truth. Mm-hmm. And there is a documentary out that is still on YouTube that, to this day that people can watch where they show the trailer. They show where it was. They show them. There's a victim that actually goes on the documentary and speaks. She's blacked out yeah. to protect her identity, yeah. but she talks. Mm-hmm. And in every article about what they were found guilty of. They talk about two 10-year-old girls. Yep. You and me. Yep. And then they want to tell us that we can't talk about it. But they can talk about us. Yeah. But we can't talk about it. That's not fair. And it's like, honestly, just another way of silencing victims. And it's gut-wrenching. And it makes me angry beyond belief. And the other part that I had a hard time with was, you know, they did all this. They have served their time. So she gets to go out and live her life. But what happened to us is a life sentence. Yeah. It's a psychological life sentence. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a negative one. It's always going to be a part of us. Mm -hmm. Um, What we choose to do with that is up to us. What happened was not our fault, but how we heal from it is our responsibility. But we always have to live with that. Yeah. And then they get to go out back into society with their identity protected and their location protected. But no one's telling us to hide our phone number or, you know, close down your Instagram or not have a podcast. Like Mm -hmm. we're just never protected and just silence. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Because I know for me, it's like fucking infuriating. I don't think it's fair. Like it's hard to live with. It's really hard. What we've had to get through from being a kid, not knowing what they were doing, to being an adult, and then having kids, and you don't know who are other predators, mm-hmm. and there's always more. Mm-hmm. And now with the sex trafficking that's going on, how is that fair? It's not. You know, these adults who in the system were meant to protect us convinced us to be brave and go up on that stand and put those people in jail and it's like okay you you girls did what you needed to do you were so brave you put them in jail good job now never talk about it yeah but yeah i don't remember them saying that never i've never, never signed anything no. I'd like it's interesting too because as we try to find information on whether there is a publication ban on mm-hmm. this news outlets have reached out to me to talk about this podcast and Mm -hmm. then they get back to me and say we can't find any information if there's a publication ban so we can't put you on air i'm so sorry like we're silencing you again like i have called i've called lawyers i have called the freedom of information and privacy act i have called the crown council of canada i have called everywhere and no one can give me an answer and it's really frustrating and It's something that I find really hard to live with. And it's actually opened up this space in my mind, a new passion that I'm like, I need to fucking figure this out. I need to fight for this. I need to find a way to make this, to change this. Yes. 
And I want to be right there with you. We have to change this. Like, if nothing else, no more victims to be silenced. Victims need to have a voice. It is not fair to us. How do you heal and live a normal life without having a voice, without being validated with what happened to you? Yeah. It's hard. You navigate life as it rolls. And then it takes you down the hill and... yeah. Then you got to climb out of that hole and get back up. I truly don't believe that healing is possible without truth. No. And there's more to the story that we don't even know. There we is. only know what we know. Mm-hmm. There's dead ends. And-, and you know, it's interesting. As we've spent the last day talking about things, it's been very clear to me why the adults in my life didn't want me to have a relationship with you because there's holes that you filled for me. There's things that you have said to me that have connected other dots that have made me realize certain lies I was told, certain things that were actually going on that I didn't realize. Like, it's been very eye-opening. I hope I'm not re-traumatizing oh, you. Oh, God, no. Because I know. No, you're empa- <laughs> honestly, you're empowering me. Oh, that's good. Right? Like, it's just so important for us to sit down, and I think it's really powerful. I would love to know what you would tell your younger self. This is something I ask every guest and I think this is the most important person I've ever asked it to. (laughs) Thanks. I think I would tell my younger self to be brave and you're not alone and it's okay to feel. Yeah. Feeling is okay. Yeah. And honestly, without feeling, you're not getting through it. Mm -hmm. You have to feel those emotions. I think that's a really important thing for people to hear especially from you and because we try and numb those feelings and without really understanding what that is going to look like for us down the road if we continue to numb them and i i believe that that's why you've done so well because numbing the pain leads to drug abuse and alcoholism and self-harm and hurting the people we love and Trust me, it is, and I think you'd agree, sitting in the pain and processing what happened to you is so much better than hurting yourself and the people around you. Yeah, it's scary as hell. But once you get to the other side. It feels quicker once you're on the other side, doesn't it? (laughs) Until you look back and you're like, oh, that was so, that was rough. That was real bad. And then it's like, (laughs) why did I keep doing so much stuff? It's like, oh, because I was trying to avoid dealing. And then you get sick and then you just have to deal with it because your body will not let you otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's so true. That is the common thing in all these interviews I've done with trauma survivors is there. It gets to a point in their life where they get so sick or run down or something happens where they're like, I actually have to make a change or I'm going to die. I can't, I can't live like this anymore. I was so depressed even just a year ago. Yeah, me too. Like so much work up until. But a year ago was like your tipping point. Tipping point. Well, I'm so proud of you. And I know so many people listening are going to feel so seen and honestly so inspired by you because you've done an incredible job. Well, I thank you for opening this space up to all of us at this table. And I'm so thankful that we could talk. Me too. I can't wait to see what you do. And I know we're going to do this again. We are going to do this again. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.